Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without mentioning Angela Merkel. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who is currently getting in the Christmas spirit. So Simon, what have you been doing? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily a particularly Christmassy person. It's something that my wife uh, is fond of. I want to sort of make her happy this time of year as much as I can. Uh, so we have done our our family portrait. This is something I'd never done before, but it's a, a habit my wife has got me into now. So every year for the sake of social media and WhatsApp and Instagram and the like, we now produce a family portrait. When we were living in America, we had a nice fireplace and so it kind of worked, it fits into all the stereotypes. But now we have to do it with two cats because we are cat people now. So yeah, you, you can expect an impending WhatsApp message of our uh, family portrait. So Merry Christmas in advance. Nick. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, we did we did what anyone does when they have a small child and we just took loads of photos of the baby and slapped them onto cards. So it's it's like the having a child is really a boon for, for Christmas, uh, Christmas card giving. It's you don't have to think of anything fancy. Just put a Christmas jumper on a small child and off you go. It's all good. With your card, do you, whose name comes first? Is it your daughter? Is, is she first up because it's alphabetic or is it because she's the most important? Good question. Um, actually, I, I went I went order of family importance. So wife, baby, me. That's how I run it. I, I respect that choice. That's, that's a smart move. Playing the game correctly there, I'd say. I thought it was the only way to do it. The only way to do it. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask if you got a, if you got a Christmas tree up yet. Uh, no, no Christmas tree. There was talk of getting one, but then my wife has decided that uh, she's going to go up to Munster to spend uh, a couple of days over Christmas with her family, and so we decided that yeah, it wasn't really necessary uh, to have a tree here when. It's just going to be me and the cats for a couple of days. And we did also negotiate the possibility of investing in an outdoor Christmas display type thing, like a six foot inflatable Santa was something we we ballparked. We have a, a balcony that opens out onto the sort of the courtyard. And so it would be really visible for a lot of people. And I think it would make us quite popular in the neighborhood. But then there's the issue of the environmental side of spending I don't know how many euros over Christmas powering this inflatable Santa and yeah I think people would just assume that I'm American if we did that as well and I'm a bit edgy about being accused of being an American <laughs> when I'm proudly British but I think but I, I think I think it's become more and more popular I was speaking to some people um last week and they said that they'd seen more and more people putting up Christmas lights and having quite festive scenes in their front gardens and so i think i think in a, it's to some extent it's quite it's quite common but i think you can you can often tell the people who aren't the hardest core germans because they're the ones who have trees up already because usually i mean my wife's family they put the tree up i think on the 23rd or the 24th there's a lot of people do that i've that i've been speaking to the the sort of christmas vibe here is it's quite a different thing one of the things I noticed is it's much quieter. It's much more sedate, I guess is the right term. And when they say uh, silent night or still an act, they, they really mean it. You know, it does seem, whereas all all the, the sort of Christmases I know, uh, everything's compressed into one day in Britain where it's spread over three days in Germany. So you have a different feeling, like you have a day where you spend with the family, a day you might spend with extended family, a day where you might see some friends. But uh, you try and compress that into one day in Britain. And so it does feel a lot more 
extreme, a lot faster, it's a lot brighter, it's a lot louder. Uh, so that's the big, the big sort of interesting difference I've seen. But um, yeah, we went we went to buy a Christmas tree last week and put it up, and now I'm feeling in the festive spirit. And what colour scheme have you gone for? Have you gone for the green of Augsburg to represent your local uh, community, or have you gone for a more Coca-Cola red? Uh, uh, no, the, I mean red's the obvious choice. I, I would, I mean, my preference is red. Uh, the tree itself, obviously, is a tree, so it's green. But uh, the, yeah, red, red and gold and, yeah, that seems to be the combination. I've basically taken over the role of, of the Lord of Christmas for our household. And um, I'm a benevolent ruler, but I'm also a little bit despotic. <laughs> so I have a very clear idea of what I want and, and, and how I want it to be. So I've spent a bit more money than I usually do on decorations but simply because it's the first time in a long time I'm spending Christmas here and if we're getting to do if I'm getting to do Christmas the way I'd want to do it on the 25th then yeah I'm, there's certain things there's certain notes you need to hit there's certain things that I want to do that make it feel like Christmas and also with with the baby I want to have a tradition in place where we have German Christmas 24th Britmas or British Christmas on, <laughs> on the 25th so that's that's what we're basically working on at the moment is is doing it but yeah it's it's different obviously this year different experience different feeling I certainly feel like I've had less hangovers the, this is a, a huge difference you're right the, the warm-up period for Christmas is being pretty dry uh, compared to years for yeah and one of the things I don't know if you have this tradition in uh, where you are in the UK but where I am in where I am in the UK uh, in Newcastle, they have this concept called Black Eye Friday, no, that's... which is the last fr- last last Friday before Christmas, and it's called Black Eye Friday certainly within the hospitality industry because it's usually when the office parties are, and it's usually when the people who never drink during the year or drink very seldom during the year go out and drink, like more than they they drink on an average month in one night and generally it's a lot of fights and generally a lot of uh, people coming away with black eyes and drink related injuries and it's kind of celebrated it says a lot about british culture that that is certainly within newcastle that's kind of an accepted and understood (laughs) idea i mean i I grew up in villages and I, i worked in a lot of pubs uh, over Christmas period, and they were all in villages, and so we never had to deal with the Christmas party crowd like the office do. And um, so, yeah, we we didn't have to deal with too many punch ups. It was much more sedate, I guess, in my in my village pubs. So, yeah, Black Eye Friday sounds sounds awful. <laughs> no, I think I think it was worse in the past. I mean, I've been out for like every every. Um, uh, Friday before Christmas for the last few years. I've never really... You just see people really, really paralytically drunk. That's really what you see. Yeah, you, you've already spoken about how Germany is a bit more sort of toned down and a bit more sort of laid back when it comes to Christmas. But yeah, I think the word excess uh, is really key uh, to British Christmas. Uh, I know in my family that we would always start uh, with breakfast um, being relatively small, but then Buck's Fizz would happen. Um, and then it was only a matter of time before my granddad conveniently forgot that there was champagne in Buck's Fizz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and next thing you know, he's already like a little bit drunk, needing a nap before lunch has even happened. Um, I think that's a pretty standard affair for a lot of families, uh, a sort of miscommunication or a misunderstanding of how much booze is around. And yeah, it's definitely done differently. My German family focus much more on 
concept of shared time as opposed to shared drinks, which I like, but I do also miss getting drunk with my brother on Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Understandable. That was something we did together. Um, that was our sort of our influence on the day was that we had the ability to drink together and yeah, try desperately not to upset our mother. <laughs> that's the mission. <laughs> yeah, it was always New Year's where we got that balance completely wrong. Um, but that's for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The New Year's New Year's episode might be a little bit quieter this this year round, but yeah it was christmas that i was first introduced to the concept of breakfast beers Mm. so yeah like so it was quite common for a few years that i'd go over to my brother's then on christmas eve we would prepare all the all the vegetables and all the stuff that we need to prepare for the night before go to bed and then wake up and usually around nine o'clock he would just hand me a beer and that's when we started so you start at nine and then you just slowly slowly if you do it right you slowly just get more and more drunk until you get to the evening and you fall asleep watching uh, die hard but i think if you tried that with most bavarian beer at least which is five percent plus uh we could easily end up in a really really drunken state so yeah, maybe breakfast beers need to be done with a radler or a shandy uh, here in Germany to play it safe. <laughs> You've got to be super careful because there isn't really low percentage beer in Germany. There's just five five percent, six percent beer. It's a it's a period where excess is kind of accepted in British society, but not so much really here. It's the only day of the year where if my mum said to me, "Would you like a Harvey's Bristol Cream or would you like a Cinzano?" I'd probably <laughs> say yes on Christmas Day. Any other day, I'd be like, "No, no, not at all." But I'm always aiming for like squiffy or half cut. I think that's where you want to spend the day at. Um, your legs feel warm. Um, and yeah, I think that's the line that most families in England are good at uh, are good at nailing. That's why you do the Bucks Fizz. That's why you do the Harvey's Bristol Cream. Well, that's it. They often say the British have a hundred words for a thousand words for rain. We have just as many for the types of drunk you can be, like the stages of being drunk and definitely someone going, oh, it's very, oh, it's very festive. As far as I know, we're the only language in the world where you can take any profanity, put ED on the end of it, turn it into an adjective and it means drunk. But yeah, the versatility of our language is something to be celebrated. Japanerin besucht das falsche Frankfurt, translated as a Japanese lady visits the wrong Frankfurt. And this is an article from suddeutsche.de covering the story of a, a lovely young Japanese tourist who traveled to Germany, as a lot of Japanese tourists are want to do, and found herself in Frankfurt. This is, of course, a place that a lot of people fly into. It is an international airport hub. But she, it turns out, was not in Frankfurt am Main, the centre of the German economy. She was instead in Frankfurt in Ost, uh, in East Germany. So, bit of an oversight for her. 500 kilometres uh, from her <laughs> uh, desired destination and has taken the time to plan a route and it's just not the right Frankfurt. But it's also pretty cruel. What, what place would use the same name twice? Are there two Newcastles in England? There's definitely not two Guildfords. No, there's there's, there's uh, Newcastle under Lyme, and like of the amount of times is. people will go, <laughs> like, the amount of times people will say to us, um, uh, like like Newcastle upon Tyne is the bigger city, like it's the most well known, one of the more well known cities, and I'll, I'll often go like, oh, I'm from Newcastle, and people usually like hear the accent and go, all oh, right, he's from Newcastle, and then there's some people who are just like under Lyme, and I'm like, no, when 
when I started looking at this article, I didn't realise how common a problem this was going to be. I thought, like, how many Frankfurts are there? How many How many Munichs are there? How many Berlins are there? Well, I mean, obviously, we've done some research on this now, and it transpires there are a lot of all of these, pretty much. A place we've spoken about before is Rottenburg ob der Tauber. Harking back to our Christmas conversations, Rottenburg is the centre of Christmas for a lot of people in Germany. It is where Kate Wolfhart the world-famous uh, manufacturer of Christmas products, is based. And it turns out there are a lot of uh, Rotenbergs. Uh, I have Rotenberg in Stuttgart, uh, Württemberg, Rotenberg in Rauenberg in Württemberg as well, Rotenberg in Sachsen, Rotenberg in Hessen, Rotenberg in Bayern, Rotenberg in Oberlausitz, Sachsen. There is also a Rotenberg in Sachsen-Anhalt, a Rotenberg in Baden-Württemberg, and finally another Rotenberg in Bavaria. So just Rotenberg is already an issue. Is it the same spelling of Rotenberg every time, or is it a different spelling? We have different variations. There's some with double T, there's some with a single T. Uh, there's Berg and Berg, B-E-R-G and B-U-R-G. Um, but in passing conversation, if somebody asks you, how do I get to Rottenberg? You have to really pay attention to where you are and where they might want to go. Um, so yeah, this, this is an issue, uh, for sure. So we can be thankful that she didn't want to go to Rottenberg and that Frankfurt was a bit easier. There's just the two of them. Yeah, yeah, you could have really ended up with some trouble there. I looked it up and I was like, oh, really? How many, how many places are called Berlin? And then I found, I found that there's an, there's two Berlins. Um, there's the Berlin that we know is the capital of Germany. And then there's, there's a Berlin. And I only found this out because I was like, I went on Wikipedia and then I went into a disambiguation. And you also have, well, obviously there's Berlin's in Canada and the US, but there's, there's a Berlin in uh, Seedorf, uh, municipality of Seedorf uh, in the district of Segerberg, uh, Schleswig-Holstein. It's got 500 inhabitants. The best bit about it, though, is it's first mentioned in 1215, so it's considered the oldest Berlin. It's older. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> it's just like, okay. Yeah, I imagine they're very proud of that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you've already mentioned uh, America. Obviously, America is a nation built on, on immigrants, and a lot of these immigrants were indeed from Germany. So we, we can see the influence on uh, names all over the place. As far as German towns go, we have them everywhere. There is a Bamberg in South Carolina. Bamberg is really close to where I live. There is a Bavaria in Kansas and Wisconsin. There is a Bremen in Alabama, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Maine, North Dakota, and Ohio. And of course, Bremen is one of the places that's connecting to brewery uh, in America as well. So a strong connection there. There are no Frankfurts in America, which blew my mind, but there are two Frankforts, uh, one in Indiana and one in Kentucky. There are lots of Hamburgs, there are a few Heidelbergs, a few New Berlins, there's a Munich, North Dakota, and a Nuremberg, Pennsylvania. But Berlin is by far and away the winner. Uh, bear with me with this list, it is a long one. There's Berlin, California, Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Vermont, West Virginia, Wisconsin, plus at least 20 different Berlin something attached. So Berlin, Neustadt, 
a variation on Berlin. So it is one of the most common names in America for a town, weirdly. <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? The, the, the colon, colonists that came came over to America weren't the most original thinkers and it wasn't divided by nationality, really. You've got the British turn up and they're like, what you would call this? New England? Okay. <laughs> um, you got you got the Dutch first and uh, they they rock up and they say, uh, what we should call this city or this, this area? What should we call this area? Oh, New Amsterdam. The mm-hmm. British take it over, becomes New York. Uh, yeah. It's just the repeated sort of process. And even and even the Americans themselves, what do you make of a place like New Mexico? You go, oh, what are we going to call this? Yeah, New Mexico, it sounds right. Okay, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it works, it works. Uh, <laughs> but I can, I can understand why people would get confused about, about locations because if you drive around Germany, you, you do find some pretty odd naming conventions. Like, I don't know how many... Altdorfs there are like and that's just old village so like that could be anywhere you know it's not a particularly specific piece of terminology or um Suddorf, Norddorf, Westdorf like like well, I mean obviously we're guilty of the same kinds of things in English it's just that we because of our connection to old English uh, we're able to sort of say oh that's what it used to mean uh, so it sounds very nice now but really it's it's it is like the village by the town with the station but yeah i mean you were saying before about the spelling of the of berg and that's what caused me no amount of trouble uh because when i first started coming to augsburg i had to i'd I'd get in my car and i'd type in augsburg into the into the navi system and i wasn't really paying attention to spelling and you'd think there's this this augsburg's a big city you'd think it was the first option and and it's spelled um erg not urg and the first place i went to was augsburg in the oberfels <laughs> and i'm driving along going i'm pretty sure this isn't the way to augsburg and then i pulled up to literally three houses oh my that God. was augsburg in the oberfels yeah and i was like kicking myself i was like gone an hour in the wrong direction <laughs> so like that spelling is key who knew well who of course knew? this opens up the the next level of the spelling issue is that uh, English uh, has a lot of what I've discovered are called exonyms, um, which is when we give an English spelling for a German name. I- I'm blessed enough that I actually live in a place that is a triple exonym uh, because I live in Nuremberg, Franken, Bayern, uh, which in English is Nuremberg, Franconia, Bavaria. Uh, so all of those, the state, region, and uh, town all have exonyms. And I found out, I didn't know, Augsburg also um, had a U-R-G-H ending in English as well, like Edinburgh. Um, so even Augsburg got one. And so we've that got- That makes me feel really, really angry. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's weird. <laughs> now, sometimes it's because we are not able to say these words correctly. Um, so we sort of anglicize it in a way that allows us to say it. Uh, so for example, with Passau, uh, P-A-S-S-A-U, we spell it P-A-S-S-A-W because then we say Passau. We say it the way that it sounds. Um, but there are other places where we just can't say the word at all, so we change it. The one that I always struggle with is Cologne uh, because in German that is Köln, uh, K-Umlaut-O-L-N. But we have a lot of these. And I have also found out today, this might be quite embarrassing to admit, um, I didn't realise that the Danube uh, was the Donau. 
I thought they were two different rivers. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's pretty stupid. Um, no, it seems reasonable. They're spelled differently. Uh, you hear them both in different conversations. You're like, okay, yeah, Germany's got loads of rivers. They're really proud of the Rhine and all that. Maybe, yeah, Danube and Donners. I hadn't clocked it. So, yeah, that's my embarrassing uh, admission for today. Well, I can't spell Augsburg, so I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, the Berg Berg is, is a significant difference. One means fort and one means mountain. Uh, so, yeah, so you're going to get different things if you turn up in different places. <laughs> too right, too right. You, you, know, you better be bloody sure about your spelling. Burgermeister stellt klar, Fickenhof bleibt Fickenhof. This is an article from rtl.de, which is a story that covers the small town of Fickenhof, which has chosen to keep its name. And you might be wondering as English speakers, why Why would anyone want to change the village name? Yeah, Simon, do you want to tell the, the listeners what Fickenhof means? Yeah, I mean, it, it, a hof, uh, I guess, is like a, a, a place or a location or a courtyard. Uh, so yeah, I'd call I translate it as, as fuck courtyard. Yeah, that's that's what I was going with. I like I like how you started with the hoff first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, we need to translate the, the everyone understands ficken from the sound of it. It's clear what it's coming from. Uh, mm. I think, and that's that's the joy of our our shared European heritage. Uh, fick fuck, <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> uh, this comes on the back of a story. Uh, from Austria about the town of fucking, which has become famous because it's yeah, it's, it's a name that obviously means a lot in English and and very little in 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 German. And now they've changed the name to to fugging. And this is a news article where the town of of, of Fickenhof has said, no, we're going to stay uh, the the town of Fickenhof. We're proud of our name. Uh, it's it's kind of nice. It's funny. Um, it doesn't matter that every so often people come and steal the sign doesn't matter that they're, they're happy to keep the name so yeah this this basically started an odyssey for simon because simon's uh researched essentially every weird place name that you could ever imagine so i'm just going to sit back and relax while simon lays it on us tell us about the uh the interesting naming conventions of german towns and cities well, I mean, yeah, as you say, I, I've spent some time on this. I have discovered that there are some really fantastic German names. Fucking is, of course, a, a, a top of the list entry straight away. Um, but I have some more. Uh, so I have, for example, Poppenweiler uh, in Baden-Württemberg, which would translate as Humping Hamlet, uh, which I, which I, th- I love the alliteration. Oh, that's nice. It's really nice. Humping Hamlet. Uh, then we have Duma. Uh, in Mecklenburg, um, Western Pomerania, which means dumber. Uh, so yeah, it's got to be difficult uh, to get new people to move to your town when it's literally called dumber. Um, there's no comparative given. It's not dumber than. Um, so I, I don't know who they're compared to. But yeah, dumber. Um, next I have is Sorga, uh, which is in the Harz Mountains. Shout out to Jürgen Klopp. Uh, Sorgo means worry in English. So would you like to move to worry and spend the rest of your days in a oh perpetual state of worry? Yeah. Uh, well, if worry is not your thing, then maybe you can move to Ireland in Saxony-Anhalt, which means misery. Yeah, it's yeah misery. What a place. Um, next up, uh, back to the sort of more vulgar language, Fickmühlen, uh, which is a place near Hamburg, uh, which translates as fuck mill. <laughs> which sounds like an imperative order. Fuck mill. Um, and the interesting thing about it is Fickmühlen uh, is plural. Uh, 
Fickmühle is actually used in German as a colloquial uh, phrase for a dilemma. Um, <laughs> so people in, in Fickmühle uh, can have a singular Fickmühle about living in Fickmühlen. They can have a dilemma about living in their town. Fuck. Mill. Um, one that doesn't it doesn't translate well the next one but it's just funny it's called Wankendorf <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is in Station Kolstein uh, which actually translates as stagger town uh, Wanken uh, is to stagger or to stumble in German nothing to do with masturbation but this always makes me think of my favourite place in world football which is the Wankdorf Stadium uh, which is the home ground of Young Boys FC uh, in Switzerland um, it's just brilliant. Uh, uh, there's there's a few around around your neck of the woods, isn't there? Katzenwang. Uh, yeah, I've got one coming close. There is a Katzenwang. Uh, is part of Nuremberg. It is a service. Uh, you can reach Katzenwang, I think, on the Straßenbahn, on the tram, uh, or definitely by S-Bahn by the regional trains. Uh, so yeah, Katzenwang always made me laugh. And in fact, my wife's football team played uh, one of their games this season in Katzwang. So I got to go to Katzwang, which was an experience I've been waiting <laughs> almost a decade for. Oh, I wish I'd had an opportunity to go to Katzwang. <laughs> uh, I think the, the best one in, in, our, in my immediate proximity is, uh, is a place called Feucht uh, by <laughs> yes. Nuremberg, which uh, translates as moist. Uh, <laughs> Moist. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of good ones from Brandenburg. One is mm -hmm. a place called Kotzen, and Kotzen <laughs> is the German word for puke, vomit, or chunder, depending on your preference. Uh, something slightly nicer, this one made my wife uh, laugh the most, which is Busendorf, uh, also in Brandenburg. Busendorf means boob village, uh, or breast village, if you want to be a bit more adult. Um, but the fantastic news about Busendorf is that it has a mountain, and that mountain is called Tit Mountain. Yes, that's great. <laughs> oh, <Busenberg. yes. laughs> that's fantastic. So when lockdown is over, I know where we got to take our next holiday together. We're going to Busendorf and climbing Boob Mountain. Yeah, definitely. We'll do a live show from the top. <laughs> That'd be, that sounds great. Uh, the final one I have uh, is a place called Hasloch, uh, which is in Rhineland-Pfalz, and that translates as Hate Hole. The interesting thing about Hate Hole is that it's often described as the most average place in Germany. Uh, and it's actually used uh, as a benchmark by the Society for Consumer Research, or GFK, uh, in German. And if a product sells in Hasloch, um, there's a good chance it'll sell in the rest of Germany. So Hatehole really? is a, a town they've decided to use <laughs> as a benchmark. It's interesting. Oh, I mean, if I if if I had the energy to give you a standing ovation, I would give you a standing ovation. That's pretty impressive uh, dropping of the knowledge there. Um, I was thinking about the, my favourite village around our neck of the woods, and it's it's Kissendorf. That's, that's really nice. Kissen, I mean, kiss, Kissendorf. Yeah. Um, uh, you, obviously, it sounds nice in 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 English, but ki kissing in this case is is cushion. So it's cushion cushion village. Which is like it sounds really sounds comfortable. Sounds comfortable or really romantic, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Pippi Langstrumpf lead for Let's Urheberrecht. Uh, so this is an article about Pippi Langstrom, um, which is a really significant uh, children's book uh, character. Uh, is it from Switzerland originally, Nick? 
Sweden, damn it. This is about Pippi Langstrom, a, a very significant children's character, originally from Sweden, uh, but a big part of German culture here. Books, uh, films, uh, TV adaptations, a big part of the culture. Uh, that is pretty much the well of my knowledge uh, deeply and firmly dried on Pippi Langstrom. So, Nick, what can you tell me about uh, what's going on here? It's kind of a story that we're hearing in a lot of literature that was produced in the early 20th centuries. There's, there's a lot of arguments about about who, who owns rights, who owns the royalties to these uh, stories. And, but this is uh, related to the theme song from TV adaptation of Astrid Lindgren's uh, Pippi Langstrumpf kid stories, which was translated into, into German. And it, it's the question about who owns the theme song and who should be getting the royalties from this really super popular tune super popular story that still uh, little kids today are, are still um, still read the books the books still sell very well uh, and the song is is Hey Pippi Longstocking which apparently violates copyright law because of this judgment that's now come through from the Hamburg Regional Court the heirs of the author of Pippi, Lang, uh, Pippi Longstocking in English or uh, Pippi Langstrumpf in, in uh, auf Deutsch the Swedish author Astrid Lind Lindgren her family uh, have been trying to sort of find out who actually owns this song uh, it comes from 1969 so basically this this is the battle that's been going on since the 60s when 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 the TV show was first created and the the German theme song was was written and it's got some verses that are different from the Swedish uh, theme song and so the, the the original writer Wolfgang Franke had, had um, claimed he was the sole author and at the time Lindgren had said well clearly you're not the the sole author and it basically revolved around one section essentially of the song which is um Zweimal drei, drei macht vier, wieder, 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 und drei macht neun, ich mach mir die Welt, wieder, 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 wie sie mir gefällt. And uh, which uh, roughly translated uh, from my terrible, terrible German is two times three makes four, wieder, 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 there is no translation for, it's just a made up word, three makes nine, I'll make the world, wieder, 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 as I like it, right? Which is which is the sort of ethos of Pippi Langström, um, is that she's an independent nine-year-old girl who lives in a house in this small little village. Um, she's super strong, super independent, has a chest full of gold coins. Uh, her story is about like her basically doing what she wants and, and not being held back by the the rules of the era that, that she existed in. And and so this song is obviously quite quite strongly or is very important to the to the ethos of, of the, the show. And basically the, the court in Hamburg has ruled that uh, this song is owned by Lindgren's heirs and what it could mean is the ban on sale of uh, Pippi Longstocking films and CDs in Germany. Although those involved have said it would be bad if we did this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's about money, isn't it? And the, qu the quote from the attorney for the Lindgren heirs was, uh, we will do everything we can to ensure that this does not happen. But what, what caught me about this was P Pippi Longstockings is, is, is a popular cartoon series, a popular story series in America. It's not so big in, in the UK. It's not something, I mean, did you did you know about it before you came to Germany? Did you know about her story? I, I definitely got read it, but I don't know if that's because I spent so much time here as a child. If my parents had been influenced by their German friends, I don't know if that's how it was recommended, but it definitely wasn't a, a key text uh, in my childhood rotation, no. 
Yeah, it wasn't. It was like Roald Dahl was like a big thing for me as a kid. Um, and so I suppose kids nowadays, Harry Potter, things like that, is slightly different style of of, of children's fiction or young adult fiction. Uh, the the interesting thing with Pippi Long Longstocking's Pippi Langstrom is that she's actually become like a bit of an icon and she's been an icon almost from its inception in the, I think it's the late forties was originally when it was published. It was always seen as subversive, this nine-year-old girl, especially who didn't conform to the um, standards of the time. This uh, girl who lived on her own, she didn't have any parental supervision. She had a pet monkey and a, and a horse and a chest full of gold coins. And almost right at the beginning in the 40s, it was seen as subversive and it's been mm-hmm. seen as subversive all the way through to the point that Pippi Longstockings wasn't that popular in France, mostly because they, they censored a lot of it. And it wasn't until I think it was this century that they uh, actually published the full version and it was quite shocking okay. to a lot of a lot of French people to realise the story they thought it was wasn't what they thought it was. And the other side of this is because of this idea of Pippi Longstockings who <laughs> does what she wants has become a, a, a symbol of, of feminism, a symbol of anarchism, a symbol of fighting the system. And that's morphed firstly into it's become a f- popular chant for football teams. And I know in England we have the um, we have fans who are like, we'll, we, uh, we'll sing when we want or they'll have similar chants that are sort of we do what we want, we score when we want. Whereas the, the football fans and some football fans in Germany will sing this song not not the the words but they'll sing the tune yeah and that became and that's when i first heard it was like what's that song why are they singing that and i didn't understand it was actually a sign of we're we're subversive we're uh, not um following the rules and i think mm-hmm. that's a lot of what attracts people to the ultra culture in, in germany is <laughs> this we're, we're a um, a nation within a nation almost but recently it's been adopted because of a person who's been joining the anti-COVID lockdown protests Mm -hmm. who has been dressed as Pippi Longstockings and she has uh, been written about a few times. The song has become popular with what they call the Queer Denken movement in Germany, which is the supposedly independent thinkers. Of course, course you're going to name yourself the independent thinkers when you believe so strongly that you're your anti-science, anti-reality position is so far from what everyone else is is trying to contend with during COVID. But you had these images of a woman dressed as Pippi Longstockings and people singing the song because it was a way of sort of saying, oh, we're different, we're independent thinkers, <laughs> we're different. When I mean, they might as well just just sang like uh, we're all fucking idiots to the tune of Pippi Longstrom. That would have been probably better. Yeah, so so that's that's the background to it. It's this. It's actually quite a subversive story that we're just totally oblivious of in the UK. I don't know if there's any comparison. I mean, I think maybe. it's interesting staying with the Querdenker for a little while because I think when we look at sort of the anti-mask, anti-COVID movements, especially in, in America, it does seem to be sort of undereducated sort of willing, negligence, Trump supporter types. Whereas apparently it transpires that one of the largest groups in the German Querdenker movement is women over 50 with a university degree. Uh, so we're not looking at people that are sort of willingly ignorant. It's actually quite often the opposite. Uh, but yeah, thinking for yourself is uh, a very positive message to send. So you can understand why they're sort of projecting this. Um, but of course, yeah, when thinking for yourself results in the death of those around you, um, we have to be careful. Yeah. 
Well, there was, there was an article that I read that basically pointed out that the song could also reflect the selfishness of these groups. I'll do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. Obviously, the lockdown works when you're in solidarity with everybody else, and that's the big issue. We've obviously seen numbers increasing. But it's just, for me, it's just ridiculous. And I think this this is another way where they're like, oh, Pippi Long, Longstockings wouldn't have, wouldn't have locked down. I'm like, I'll tell you now. Betty Pippi Longstockings would have would have worn a mask because she wasn't a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's interesting, even there's on the Pippi Longstockings uh, Wikipedia page, there's a, an image of Greta Thunberg dressed, uh, spray painted on a wall, dressed as Pippi Longstockings. So it's still like, it's it's interesting that you have this 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 character that's that's quite subversive that still has political capital today, eighty years since its inception. Then the Carnival's Prince knocked four tours for Schicht. Uh, this is an article from Süddeutsche Zeitung. And yeah, the story is about a prince of the carnival who made the error of sending uh, a friend of his some naked photos. Now, of course, carnival is a pretty big deal in certain areas of Germany, and this is in Wuppertal uh, in Nordrhein-Westfalen. And uh, the Prince of the Carnival uh, is a, a pretty significant figure, obviously used as part of the marketing uh, campaign for the uh, event. Uh, so Thomas, uh, before the event, uh, put on parts of his uniform uh, and took some photos of himself in what can definitely be described as a provocative situation. So he was wearing the top half, but nothing on the bottom. Uh, these were shared with a friend who then in turn shared them with basically the the prince of the carnival's employer uh, and it led to him getting fired so nick do you think he deserved to get fired for these nude selfies uh well half nude i guess so the thing that got us with this story was well first and foremost i don't it's carnival right what is what is like a carnival king being naked like like respect for the office it's not the president of the united states you know it's he's a carnival king like this meant to be fun and and sort of ridiculous and we've talked already about the sort of nudity in germany and and how it's perceived as a difference to the uk like i didn't see first and foremost i didn't see why it was it was bringing the office of carnival king into disrepute i would have thought carnival naked photos they, those things would would marry together quite nicely do you not think well i mean i guess the yeah, as you say, Carnival is a, t- a pretty sort of decadent moment in in the calendar uh, for those areas of Germany that celebrate it and being in different states of sort of disrobing uh, in the streets is not an issue. Public urination is a massive problem in places like Cologne when they do have these parties. So yeah, I think if you participate in the party on the streets, there's probably a good chance you might see an errant penis <laughs> somewhere along the way. But of course, yeah, this person has as a position of quote mark responsibility. Um, when we watch television around the carnival period, which is really weird for us down in Bavaria because we don't really have the connection to it. But it is all fancy dress, crazy costumes, parody. Uh, a penis being out wouldn't be that shocking in that environment, I guess. Yeah. We well, have you have carnival events. They have the Franconian carnival events are quite famous, I think, but it's not. It's not like Cologne or Düsseldorf. It's in any way, shape, or form. It's not as big, and it's not. It's not a public holiday either. I don't think they have more public holidays due to 
the start on the 11th of November. I was just wondering, though, what, what is it that's like the responsibility of a carnival prince? Like, what is this sacred office that requires no nudity whatsoever, the seriousness with which it's treated? I mean, I guess it's, I mean, down here uh, in Nuremberg, of course, we're very famous for our Christkind, uh, for the Christmas party uh, that happens in, in the city. So I guess it's like Santa Claus, isn't it? The, these sort of icons that are supposed to represent a sort of level of purity, um, restraint, I guess, even though you do have the head of fools, apparently. But I guess that it just sort of goes, it, it sets a bad example, uh, as weak as that phrase might sound. I'm sure that if they were found face first in their own vomit after a day of heavy drinking, nobody would be like, okay, you're fired. That's disgraceful behavior. Well, Carnival, I mean, when Carnival rolls around next, I think we'll probably have a deeper conversation about it. But Carnival itself is is coming from certainly medieval celebrations. It's a really old festival. And, and sometimes, certainly in the medieval era, the idea was the world was turned upside down. So they would promote as the Carnival King or the mayor for the day, like the village idiot basically would become the leader because it's the idea that the most incapable would become the capable. And, 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 all, and that was a big part of this celebration. Whereas it seems to me, like like with a lot of things, certainly in the south of Germany, they've crystallised quite recently into like this is now an official office. It, the role is meant to be one of a fool. He's the you said it before. He's the the king of fools or the master of fools. But apparently it says here that the princes receive a lot of public attention and he's also supported by local sponsors. And I guess for these events, it won't be some local thing. It will be like Sparkasse like a big bank or something. So I imagine there will be pretty strict requirements uh, when when yeah, when the money's involved. It, you can kind of understand it a lot more, yeah. And it says, it says this is again, translation from, from the, the German Wikipedia page. Wherever this custom takes place, it is carried out very seriously and it is a special honour for every official prince, prince couple or triumvirate. So that you can have a prince couple, obviously king and queen, or you can have a triumvirate. There's been instances of that. For the duration of the carnival season, the prince becomes a public figure in the city whose presence at social events, even beyond the carnival events, is highly valued. So I guess it's like a, like a Lord Mayor position it's ceremonial but is important yeah exactly i think they do do things like open supermarkets um or participate in sort of local radio events to sort of boost uh, local publicity but yeah so i guess if you, if it's the case that he's he's meant to have official functions there might be some there might be some consternation over him sending naked photos but considering we said a few weeks ago we talked about germany being sex positive this doesn't seem like a very sex positive approach how i'm sure there's plenty of people out there sending naked photos to their significant other the thing that stood out for me is is the villain of the piece not the ex-boyfriend who shared the photos that was my thought is there's very little about him for maybe for legal reasons or whatever but he seems like the villain here right sharing a photo that was sent in trust it certainly could be that he's a villain we don't have any information if he's being jilted uh if he is a lover scorned um, all we know is that he's described as the ex-boyfriend. Um, yeah, nine times out of ten, I guess there is some some sort of sensitivity on the back end of a breakup. But we don't know when they broke up, how long this is, if this is just an active opportunity for revenge, which an angry ex has taken, or if it's someone that genuinely believes that this position should be revered and that they had a duty as a, as a citizen of their town to notify the authorities which yeah, is, is a legitimate reason. Um, if you are sensitive about the history and the culture of your community, I, I wouldn't be 
wouldn't be shocked if that's the the alibi at least. Well, I mean, it's I think it's it's noticeable. I think both of us wouldn't take that very seriously. The earnestness with which someone would hold the office of Carnival Prince uh, seems a little bit unrealistic I think to two British people because any level of earnestness is seen as with a, a certain degree of suspicion but yeah I just I, I kind of feel like it it's bordering on the realms of revenge porn which is something that has certainly been topical in the last few years but this idea of sharing your ex's uh, nude images or or videos of, of couples having sex and sharing them online for other people to see or in sort of WhatsApp groups or whatever. It just seems like that's the real story, that the the prince should actually be defended because he's been treated quite poorly by his ex-boyfriend. But um, This is revenge porn. It shows the dangers inherent in taking photos of yourself on your phone and sharing them with anyone. It is a minefield that can end careers. It can, yeah, it can end lives. It's awful. Well, this 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 guy's it's ended his career is is carnival prince. I don't think he's any going back once you take your uh, former employer to court. But I, I kind of feel a lot of sympathy for this for this uh, this gentleman uh, because he seems he seems a lot more like a victim. But it just it it, it surprised me so much that that the people wouldn't just this wouldn't be water off a duck's back. So, oh, well, it's the carnival prince, you know, he's just getting up to shenanigans. That's what the carnival prince does. And that people would just laugh it off. The only thing that I would, th- would have thought they'd take with a degree of seriousness is what we've just mentioned about the actions of the ex-boyfriend. But, and it makes you wonder, yeah, if this was the Christkind, you know, like what, if it was a woman in this situation, would it be different? This is obviously a, um, a, gay, a gay man. And so it makes you wonder, is there is there a bit of a double standard? I always feel like there is a little bit of a... A double standard when it comes to homosexuality, certainly in the south of. Germany. I mean, I, I think I think the idea of a man being seen naked in in this kind of scenario, like sharing nude photos, isn't seen as such a such a nasty intrusion on the person's privacy. Yeah, I don't think there's many countries getting this particularly right, but I think it does it does give an example of the seriousness with which. Like roles like the Chris Kind, like the Chris Kind's meant to be a fun role. It's a woman who dresses up as the, if you don't know what the Chris Kind is, it's a very timely uh, reference, but it's the uh, baby Jesus that brings German children their presents, or at least the Catholic ch- children their presents at Christmas. It's not Santa Claus, it's the Chris Kind. And with this this, this uh, carnival prince, it's a ceremonial role that seems to be taken with a level of seriousness that I just don't think it would be taken in in other places if this role existed i mean you do have a lot of organizations uh involved in these carnivals um, there are people that their year revolves around these traditions and it is it's a big deal to a lot of people so i can understand people being very sensitive about it but i also come back to the idea that anyone that really participates in carnival is partaking in what is probably one of the most brazen festivities of the year uh, so if you're going to be sensitive about nudity um yeah maybe go to a, a sort of go to a beer festival in a quiet village uh, it's probably a safer bet we've been to beer festivals that's no guarantee you won't come across some level of nudity somewhere <laughs> um how 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 long do you think it'll take before we can become carnival princes do you reckon there's an opportunity for us in the future um i guess i guess there is an opportunity uh i imagine 
you'd have to be a citizen. Uh, so you're further down the line here uh, than I am. But I think this is a target we should both look into. I think the Carnival Prince is definitely... I have, I have a chance if there's, if there's an option out there. <laughs> I wonder what the uh, interview process is like. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. We've had a few of you have reached out and given us a bit of feedback. Some of you have told us some things that you like, some of the things you don't like, critical feedback obviously for a new podcast is, is, is really useful and it's, it's really good to hear what you're, what you're hearing, what we're mi- missing maybe, uh, ideas for, for things that you'd like us to include. So any feedback is, is, is always welcome. You can obviously send an email to 40percentgerman at gmail.com or if you want to reach out to us on social media. Simon is finally out of Twitter jail, so you can reach him on, at Decades From Home. And that's where we post most of the uh, podcast information. Or if you want to tweet at me, I'm at 40% German. Uh, at the moment, on the uh, at 40% German Twitter page, we have Deutsche Beer Pokal running. So feel free to check that out and, and have a vote for your favorite German beer. Or just check out uh, a good shopping list for potential beer options should you be looking for them. Also, we have uh, new content all the time on 40%german.com. A uh, new article last week. Um, and we've had a few really cool guest posts, one from Simon and one from uh, Dilly, who's a lovely lady who wrote a really great article about dating in Germany. So if, you, uh, if you're interested in, in writing something for the, for the, for the blog, uh, please reach out by email or just reach out to us on Twitter or there's a, there's a form you can fill out on the website. Uh, otherwise, yeah, just let us know what you think and uh, don't forget to like the podcast don't forget to retweet the podcast and especially don't forget to rate the podcast on itunes that can really help us so thanks and we'll speak to you all next week